I'm Emily Thede, author of This Vicious Grace, coming in summer 2022 from Wednesday Books. And I'm Anna, a teacher and a writer in the Query Trenches. And you're listening to Basic Pitches, where we... Two basic pitches... Break down the basics of writing and being a writer. I'm like That's a zombie okay. right now. It's all right. We should talk about zombies. See, because we're, we're debunking stuff. So we I can love debunk this. Debunk the whole you zombies. can't write about zombies. Yes, you Let's can. Talk. Okay, we're gonna debunk this. Why yeah. do zombies go for the brain? I think that is because they don't have one. That has literally never made sense to me. Because it's scarier than other stuff. Yeah, I don't know. If the zombie went for my eyeballs, I'd be kind of That's scared. True. Well, I'm pretty sure they'd take care of the rest of you at the same time. Like, they're yeah, not just like, going to. What's the whole thing of subsisting on brains? I just assumed it's because they, like, are mindless creatures. So someone, like, one point was, like, mindless creatures need to eat uh, minds. And that was just, like, it. Wow. So everything really is about what your character wants. Yeah. To or fill. about writers that have run out of ideas and just they're, latch on to the first thing they can think of. I mean, do you think that's where the idea of zombies eating brains came from? Is somebody who was like, I'm going to create the undead. No, I think it came from like plague stuff, actually. Which is Do we just related? <laughs> just, just while we banter, what if I Google into, this? You should. I feel like what it was probably a like a, it was probably like a plague thing, like stay away from people that are sick because bad things will happen, kind of thing. You know? Why do something tells me it's going to be some really macabre <laughs> answer that we're going to be like, okay, brain basic pitches after dark. Yeah, that sounds like a different kind of dark. It's not that kind of podcast, kids. Uh, this is fun. Dan oh. O'Bannon, writer and director of Return of the Living Dead, comments that zombies feast on brains of the living because it, quote, makes them feel better by easing their pain. I'm not sure that's an answer. They didn't answer why it would make them feel better, though. Can they uh, hear your memories? Can they absorb your, your feelings? The the feelings don't of, happen. Yeah, mm. the concept of zombies eating brains in particular was invented by cult classic 1985 horror comedy The Return of the Living Dead. It was invented in 1985? That's what it says. Now that is blowing my mind. I want somebody to come back on our podcast and be like, actually, here's the history of zombies. And then I, I do too, because it should them. go because back farther quick. than 1985. That was just very quick. I mean, obviously, wow. the concept of zombies hasn't, you know, yeah. subsists beyond that, right? That has been originally. The thought of someone just like in 1985 being like, I think they should eat brains. Like, that just like, that shifted think, the world that day. And we didn't even I know. Think they like this muscle hidden behind this <laughs> very hard they to like break to eat bone. The, the gluteus muscles. Like, that'd be a totally different thing. <laughs> Zombies biting butts. They want the wrinkliest organ out of your body. Eat, they eat. like the texture. We're going to invent a new kind of uh, paranormal villain during this episode. Just nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but that's okay. That's, that's absolutely what the nothing. Banter is for. It it's is just a warm up. Loosen we up. are talking about debunking yeah. writerly Stuffs. rules. And yes. I put quotation marks around the word rules. Um, so writing rules, what are yeah. they? Uh, there's a lot of them. And I would say that I, I believe that most rules for writers really come down to overcorrections for things that new writers often do. Oh, show. And instead of saying, hey, a lot of new writers do this thing, 
So look for it and be careful about it and, like, try to adjust for it. We just kind of started saying, like, don't do this. And it kind of turned into, like, some sort of a law (laughs) when it's really just supposed to be, like, hey, buddy, like, this is really common, so you might want to, like, not do that because it's super common and your work won't stand out as much if it has this very common thing in it. So, like, oops, pendulum. Pendulum went too far. I like the idea that it's an overcorrection because there's the seed of truth in all of these rules. Mm -hmm. It's just the amount of application. It's almost like a spice, right? If you use too much of a spice, it ruins the whole dish. Yes. Um, So if you abide by a rule too strictly, it will ruin the writing, I think. Yeah. I mean, like, my first kind of experience with writing rules, I think I've talked on this podcast before about how I signed up for an advanced novel writing class, even though I was not advanced, and kind of, like, snuck in. And I was fortunate to have classmates who gave me very gentle advice, and now looking back on it, I can see what they were saying. But at the time, I was like, what? You know, like, I had one person be like, wow, yeah, I mean, like, opening your book with someone waking up, like, it, you know, bold move. And I was like, is it a bold move? And now I'm like, oh, like, they didn't want to be like, honey, no, this is too common everyone does it so they tried to make it like well I mean if you're gonna do it go big and I was like oh no I don't need to go big I just needed to know that I wasn't supposed to do that like that sort of thing or like I had head hopping you know like I didn't understand point of view stuff but they kind of would be like well I mean like it's it's brave to attempt omniscient in your first book and I was like is that what I'm doing I don't think that's what I want to be doing um right so in a way they didn't hit me with the like this is a rule like, they kind of eased me. I was this little baby writer, and they eased me into it very gently, and I really appreciate that. Um, right. And so I think that has shaped how I would give advice to other people, which is, like, don't not don't ever do X, Y, Z. It's just, like, let's talk about why yeah. you say this, and let's decide whether you want to do this and how you're going to do it if you're going to do it. There's a phrase that uh, our mutual friend Natalie used. Mm-hmm. Um, she uses sometimes that's called mileage may vary, and mm-hmm. it's about – it's about many things in life, but you can use it for something like this where it's like, this is a rule. And for some people, it may work, you know, they may need to adhere adhere to it 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Or you may need to adhere to it 5% of the time. So your mileage may vary with each of these rules depending on what your process is or what you need to yeah. do. Like, what do you need to get out of this rule? That's always been the thing I've done with um, critique partners and – uh, any writing rules, I'd look mm-hmm. at what the critique partner is saying. And especially in those early days, it was hard to learn. Like a critique partner might say like, this character is annoying. And while that's not, you know, nice to say <laughs> like straight up, um, you know, without any suggestion of what to do about it, I would extrapolate, okay, this character is annoying. Why is this character annoying to them? What is going on here? They've said it at this very specific moment. Can I extrapolate what I need to from this advice? Yeah. And the same thing with rules. What can you extrapolate out of this? And then I think there's a certain point in every writer's career where you have to unlearn some of them. Like it it caused Mm -hmm. me like physical pain to start using adverbs again. (laughs) Right. Right. Like you're allowed to use adverbs and you do need to use adverbs. I was trying so hard to have no adverbs and no that and no just and no – Anything that's not said, and at a certain point I was like, okay, like, actually, honestly, when I had my copy edits, I didn't want to use exclamation points, I didn't want to say shouted, you know, I was trying to just uh-huh. do, like, periods instead, my copy editor was like, he's mad, <laughs> like, why don't we put an exclamation mark here, or, like, at one time I was like, okay, I'm gonna say he shouted, but I'll still leave a period, and they were like, wouldn't there be an exclamation point if he shouted, and I was like, like, my instincts were like, no, that's too much, but she was right. Like, it was, I was yeah. being ridiculous to be like, 
he shouted <laughs> without any punctuation right. or, you know, like, it was absurd. So, yeah, like, you you learn them and you internalize them because they can so easily be overdone, but then you do have to kind of start to trust yourself and be like, okay, trust yourself, trust your reader, and figure out where the happy medium is after mm-hmm. you've learned how to do the thing according to the quote-unquote rules, I think. Right, right, right. I like that. It's it's the similar thing with grammar. You got to learn the rules to break them. Yep. And if we don't make it now, I will make it. If we don't make it sometime this episode, I'll make this reference now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know some people listening are like Pirates of the Caribbean. They're <laughs> more like guidelines rather than rules. So <laughs> there's that. I'm going to make that reference like 12,000 times uh, this episode. It. And it'll bring me great joy. Thank you, Jeffrey Rush. Nice. We got, uh, we got zombies. We've got pirates. We've got zombie pirates. With zombie pirates? Great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right. See, we're having like theory. we're doing big, big brain stuff here. Big we actually, brain. we're making all the kinds of connections. Will want to eat mm-hmm. our brains because mm-hmm. we're so smart. Um, so I'm going to try and put these in some kind of order. Okay. And I think my logical order is going to be writing rules that somebody could use, starting from a zero draft. Cool, cool. An idea, um, and nice. then moving forward until we get to multiple books. Does that Sweet. make sense? Yes. So we're going to go through the process. Let's do it. Um. So the first thing I'm going to do is people who say there's this is like a twofer rule. Mm-hmm. Some people say, write to the market, study the market and see what's hot and selling right now and then write that. And then some people say, never write to the market. Just write what your heart and soul tells you. <sighs> there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Thoughts? There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so my first thought is that... So often when we write to the market, as you've said before, we're too late. (laughs) If you're writing what you're reading and enjoying, to some extent, that means that those books were acquired a few years ago. And if your goal is to get traditionally published, they may have already saturated the market, you know, which doesn't mean it won't come back. It doesn't mean like if you have an amazing idea for a book and it's in a category that's already oversaturated and you just have to write that book, then write that book. It might not sell right away, but like it'll still exist. Um... But if you're thinking, okay, vampires are so hot right now, I'm going to write the next Twilight, and it's 2010, I don't know what year those came out, like, there are already a bunch of people that have started doing that. So by the time you start this draft, there's already going to be kind of a a glut of those books, and then there's going to be an inevitable backswing, especially in YA. YA is very volatile and reactive. It goes from, this is so in right now, to we just did too much of that, and then it swings back and forth and back and forth. Um, But... I think the never write to the market is kind of just as dangerous because we are all products of what we're reading and consuming. And so there's always going to be some element of getting inspired by stuff that is currently out there and mm-hmm. writing a new thing. Um, we talked a little bit on our last episode that hasn't come out yet, so maybe, yeah, about how, like, you can take a concept and put your own spin on it and make sure that it has kind of commercial market, market-ready pacing and packaging like if you go out there saying I'm gonna write the next uh big YA novel but I refuse to you know make it fast-paced and I want it to be 300,000 words like then you're not writing to the market and you're also not gonna get published because that's not like that's too far afield for this particular Mm -hmm. demographic and you are Mm -hmm. if you are the difference between art and business is that when you're trying to be traditionally published you are trying to create art that is appealing to the audience that is out there so 
Right. So yeah, that was a very complicated non-answer. But yeah, you take over. <laughs> no, I think um, I think you're right. I think it's a thing of your if you're studying the market and trying to take an, an idea from conception to book and sell it in the current market right now, that's not going to work. Because um, what will happen is the from my understanding, if we start right now, books that are being revised to go on submission mm-hmm. to be picked up by editors will be published in 2024. Yeah. So you're looking at a totally yes. new, fresh market, totally new, fresh things are happening. Mm-hmm. Who knows what that Wild West market will be? Um, it could be Westerns. Who knows? Um, but who knows, like, what that market will be? So you're already you're already two years behind at that point, even more, if you consider how slow publishing has been going lately. Yeah. Um, And I think the other thing is writing to the market is smart. I think it is smart in the aspect of like we talked about in our Q&A episode that's really like intelligent. I I don't know. I'm really proud of our answer from that one. Oh, yeah. Good. I was really – no, I was really proud because – You always hear them first. (laughs) I think it's pragmatic to say I'm not going to write to the market, but I am going to write to my audience. Yeah. And your audience is the market, right? Yeah. And – if I set out, I have it dead set in my heart to write a killer clown's romantic <laughs> drama tragedy in the young adult yeah. genre. It might be harder. That's going to be really hard. But there's always the caveat of like, I think also we, we talk about writing to the market or writing not to the market as a like strategic move. But it's a little different, I think, when you have an idea that will not leave you alone and you're trying to decide whether it fits with the market or not. Like, And I would say, if there is something that you are obsessed with and you have to write it, then I'd say write it. Like, be be aware of how challenging or not challenging it might be to get it out there. But, like, I mean, thank goodness that everyone that writes YA sci-fi didn't just, like, give up when people said, oh, yeah. why sci-fi is dead? Because, like, there are books coming out now that are great that those authors were writing yeah. three years ago, four years ago when I was in the depths of YA sci-fi despair. So, you know, it's it's always more complicated than it is. And I would also say it really depends. It doesn't depend. But depending on where you are in your career, those windows of time grow and shrink. Um, if you are someone, say you're an author who who has a book deal and has an option book and an option proposal that's due in two months and you spot a deal on Publishers Marketplace that gives you an idea for a book – that window is a lot smaller than someone who is still in the querying trenches and has to, you know, write a book from scratch and then get an agent. So, like, which I know is frustrating. Like, I've been there. Like, I've been in the situation where I was starting to write something and then realized, oh, no, someone is publishing a book with a similar concept in two months. And it's it's devastating. Um, but if you're deciding, okay, I have two ideas I want to work on. This one seems new and different. This one is kind of related to what's currently on trend depending on where you are in your career, that might help you decide which one to focus on first, perhaps. And also, once you have an audience, the rules don't necessarily apply the same way. So, you know, the big dogs can write about whatever they want to, to some extent. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I lost where I was. That's okay. I just, I mean, I you know, Shelby Mahorian, who was on our our Pitch Wars class, her next book has a vampire spin on it. You know, for a while it was no one can write about vampires, and then there have been a couple things coming out. Um, Our friend uh, Margie Fuston has put out one vampire book, and I believe her next one has a vampire spin to it. So, you know, the point is, 
you don't give up on the things you love, but also don't don't chase trends because if you're chasing them, you're behind them. But totally still true. let yourself play with those projects that you're excited about. Yeah, totally. I have nothing else to add to that one. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Um, writing every day. Just throw that one out the window unless you need it. I think it. that's bullshit. <laughs> and I hate it. Uh, I will extrapolate for me what that means and what it meant for me at different stages of my life. So this is one of those rules that I feel like everything about it is subjective to the person. Yep. So writing is not sitting down and typing prose and mm-hmm. dialogue. Writing is, for me, writing is idea gathering. Mm-hmm. Writing is brainstorming, staring off at the clouds and thinking about this book pretty intensely. Writing is um, revising. Writing is putting a silly little aesthetic together because I'm trying to figure out the vibes of my book. Yep. Writing is uh, journaling about my book. Writing is Reading talking books. and brainstorming with my friends. Like writing is studying a book, seeing yeah. if I can pull out that prose. Like Filling writing well. is – for me, the rule is writing is anything that pertains to making my project grow from mm-hmm. an idea to an actual book. Um, when I first started, writing every day meant I had to have discipline. Like I had mm-hmm. – if I wanted to make this something that I wanted to do ever, I needed to start doing it. And I needed to – you know, it was the beginning of me saying, mm, I really don't want to do this other thing that doesn't really – bring me joy I want to sit down and work on the thing that brings me joy and it was a thing of if I wanted to do this I had to take it seriously and Mm -hmm. so I did write every day like I tried to sit down every single day for at least five minutes to like poke at something especially in those early days yeah um I think it's a thing of like keeping keeping that creativity alive and fresh um the author who does the book eat pray love Mm -hmm. did a book that I've talked about before on the podcast, and I literally can't remember it. Sorry, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, But she talks about how ideas, if you don't snap them, if you don't actually feed them and keep them going on that burner, uh, they will go away. And not just go away, they'll transfer to other people just magically. And you'll be like, wait, I was going to write a book like that. And then you're like, well, you didn't feed it, right? And that doesn't have to be every day. That can be Every couple of days, every couple of weeks, every whatever. Like, I think the idea is just to be creative Mm -hmm. as often as you need in order to keep this sustainable thing going. Yeah, and I think, too, I think probably where that advice originated from was the fact that the world is full of writers who are planning to write a book and never do it or never finish Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes you need a quote-unquote rule to say, just sit down. I thought about writing books for decades, and it wasn't until my mother said, you've talked about this forever, NaNoWriMo's coming up, just sit down every day and write something. Mm -hmm. I needed the kick in the pants. I needed to sit down every day. I needed to just commit to putting words on the page. So, like, the opposite of your now beautiful process was someone needed me just to sit me down and go just type the little letters onto the page every day for a month to form a habit and to get hooked. Um, And I always said that I feel like Writing to me is like exercise. If I get in a good habit of it, which often takes some real consistency, then I get into a groove. I remember how much I enjoy it. And then I don't have to be as strict about those rules. But if I stay away from it too long, 
then doing it once or twice a week isn't enough to get me in the groove. So I think sometimes you need that yeah. jump start of like sit down every day, just commit to it. Right. And then once you feel that you're getting to a point where you're like, okay, I could use a day off though, or I could use a day of reading or drawing or brainstorming, then do it. So yeah, I don't think it's essential to write every day. In fact, I, I know it is not. Um, but it can right. be useful as a tip instead of a rule. A tip to get right. you started maybe. I think, like you said, it's that thing to keep you in discipline Mm -hmm. if you feel like you're getting lax. And it's not just like you're not sitting down to write because life is hectic and you need it as self-care or whatever. You're just avoiding it because of exercise. That Or like it's too hard and the words aren't beautiful yet. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to wait because I was waiting for an entire book to show up in my head. Mm -hmm. turns out it never will. It never will. Mm -hmm. So I needed needed permission slash pressure to just write words. And that was my only goal, which allowed me to let go of the goal of having a whole story in my head, of making it perfect, of having the words be beautiful. Um, so right. if it, it can be, I guess, a crutch would be a good way to put it. Like it's, if it's a thing that facilitates you getting into the writing zone, then great. If you find yourself making excuses day after day after day, then maybe, maybe you're someone who could benefit from telling yourself, okay, I need to sit down and write every day this week. Right. Um, but don't believe anyone that tells you that you can't be a successful author without writing every day because that is flat out false. Yeah. I know of plenty of writers who true. don't. So I think uh, the thing that I have moved towards uh, more and more recently is uh, along this line of like you have to hit a certain word count every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really kind of moving away from that thought mm-hmm. process to just setting t- – like doing the um, Pomodoro method where mm-hmm. it's like I'm just going to sit down and my goal is to work, you know – collectively throughout the day work this many hours or whatever it may be and then just set my timer and then if it's the same way I did with reading where it's like I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes and if I feel like keep keeping going I will keep going and if I don't I will take a break and then I'll Mm -hmm. come right back and try it again and then it's you know it is more about that discipline right and I think the other thing I would add to this is if you're trying to write every day um, to get yourself into this groove. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be the same thing every day. I'm mm-hmm. trying a thing now where I spend time just trying to brainstorm new projects because I am not I am not a person Can who's Can I join you idea. in this time? Yes, please. <laughs> we should uh, just have like a once a week just like stare into space and brainstorm books. Oh my gosh. Because that option is sneaking it is up never, on me. <laughs> it's never been a thing that I've been good at because yep. I usually have one idea and then I just Same. work really, really hard on it. Yep. And then I have somewhere in that process another idea has one been like kindling. <laughs> and then I work on that and I would love to have something, you know, I have my previous books have in my list, back yeah. pocket. But it's like I'd love to be able to be like, here's three things. Uh-huh. Me, what am I going to write? Like whenever I hear I someone talk about on? like, oh, I'm you know presenting three options for my proposal, and I'm like, ah, how nice for how you? How do we? Do I need three options? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think that counts as like I think honestly, like oh, yeah. write every day to me could turn in, and that's why it's variable for everything. It could mm-hmm. be be creative every day. Yeah. It could be actually once you get into the drafting, sure, write every day if you need that. But if not, take a break. It's cool. Like yeah. I think that everything about that phrase changes based yeah. on where you're at and what you need. Totally. Yeah. For me, it is it is helpful as someone who hates drafting with every fiber of my it's being to say, Emily, worst. you have finished it. this book in this many days, sit your butt down, write the words. It doesn't matter if they're terrible because it's what it is, is by having the goal of write every day and giving myself a word count goal 
what I am doing is I am taking all of my other goals for it to be good, for it to be whatever, and I am uh-huh. pushing them off the table and I am saying, no, pick one goal that you can't say you can't do because I know your your fingers can move that fast. You know, and I did a 20-minute sprint yesterday and I wrote 600 words. Like, I'm capable of putting words on the page. Uh-huh. So I needed to just do that, to stop being like, I don't know how to finish this book and be like, okay, fine, you don't know how to finish this book. But you're going to get closer to it if you just, Put some words on the page instead uh-huh. of waiting for the book to drop into your head, which I clearly have not learned my lesson because here I am six, seven years later being like, I'm just going to wait until the book um, shows up in my brain. And it's like, that's literally why I didn't start for years. So Right, yeah. right, right, right. It's so, so true. What works for you. But there's a thing. It's like, well, find what works for you, but then also be honest with yourself. Uh-huh. And if you know you're avoiding stuff and you know you could use that kick in the pants of a, a rule with bunny ears around it, then, you know, then embrace the rule for as long as it takes to get you where you need to be. Exactly. Yeah. Rules are flexible. Rules are more like guidelines anyway. Yes. There's reference number two. There you go. Um, <laughs> then we have show, don't tell. <sighs> Always show. No. Never tell. Incorrect. Wrong. Wrong. I think my wrong, first, wrong, wrong. W- again, my first class, wrong. I just remember uh, my now friend Ron said, <laughs> said this is all really good, um, but it's boring, and also I don't need to hear every footstep. And he was right. I was trying to show. I didn't even know that was a rule, and I was trying to show everything, and he was like, you can just say, she got out of the spaceship. She just, she, she got out of, she, <laughs> we don't need to hear her walking down the ramp. Just skip it. Skip the good part. And... I think that is, it's so easy when you start writing to tell the reader what happens in the story and forget to tell them the story, which is where I think the advice comes from, which is like, don't tell us there once was a little girl who woke up and she decided she wanted to be a princess and she went to fight dragons. Like, that's a synopsis. That's not a book to make it immersive. You want to show things, but you don't need to show everything. You shouldn't show everything. And there are times in a book where just tell us three days later they went to the blah, blah, blah. Like, just get us there. So, right. yeah. I was just thinking about that, like, get to the good part because uh-huh. that is something that I am learning about. I don't know. Has oh, I feel like I've just had a light bulb moment for myself and maybe hopefully it will help other people mm-hmm. and maybe there's merit to this. So getting to the good part and mm-hmm. show versus tell ties in with – character arc mm-hmm. ties in with romantic beats mm-hmm. and only hits a couple of plot beats. Yeah. So in my books, people will be like, oh, this scene was so good. Can we have more like this? Uh-huh. Like, could this scene be more like, there's an yeah. infamous, I guess infamous among my like five friends. I feel like SpongeBob where I draw little, like, <laughs> squeaky faces on my fingers and I say my family. And our, um, our basic pitches so, fam. Me, me. Um, but people who have read my book, all like a bunch of people are like, chapter 15. And mm-hmm. I started realizing like, okay, chapter 15, I'm doing something right. And I went back and looked at it and I was like, okay, this is like a very clear romantic beat mm-hmm. that slows way down. Like mm-hmm. this is a moment that has nothing to do with the plot at large. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with character development and everything to do with romantic development. And I went, okay. This is like where we show things. This yes. is where we show the feelings that are happening in the body. Yes. This is where we show what the person sees about someone else. And like this is – and Love it. I think that 
when if you ever get those comments of like, mm-hmm. oh, I wish we could have stayed in this moment for a little bit mm-hmm. longer, maybe analyze why we want to stay in that moment and show these things a little bit longer because that ties to character or it yeah. ties to this is a character beat where the character is going to go from uh, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed hero to, uh-oh, the world is unfair and yes. we're getting a little jaded. Slow down. That's yeah. a moment to show, not tell. If it's getting up in the morning and leaving the house, don't. Don't yeah. make a big deal about that. Like, yeah, that's I have a fine. tendency to start scenes too early and end them too – well, yeah. actually, I'm pretty good at ending. I like to end them on a mic drop moment. But I start them too early and it's like, okay, you don't need to show how they got to that room. Just show them in the room. Um, but I like to think of it as, well, one, my, my Pitch Wars mentor – I've talked about this before too – that I had a, you know, I had a like yada, yada, yada – over the next few weeks, they got to know each other, and she was like, no, 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 <laughs> don't you dare, don't skip the good part, right. but I like to think of it, if you Are watch you ready? a movie. Are you ready? I what? had a similar comment, but you- <laughs> mine was about my main character in my, in the same year with the same book, but mine was about my main character beating the shit out of someone for answers <laughs> on her spaceship. And she was like, yeah. did you just skip an you interrogation skip scene? What? <laughs> what are you doing? It's like, sorry, Lindsay. But yeah, I mean, think about when you watch a movie. Yeah. What I like to think of it as is I, I often lament the fact that I can't put a montage. Just let me put a training montage in my book. But really, when you watch a movie, if there's a montage, that is telling. They are giving you little clips. Over the next three weeks, they train together. They, whatever. Like, you're just getting little snippets of what's happening. So you know what's happening. You know time is passing. You can't skip the important pivotal emotional scenes or growth scenes. So, but your reader doesn't need to hear about five days in a row where they're doing the same thing. So if you have a lot of repetitive scenes, that's where you say the next day was much like the first. But on the third day, da-da-da-da. So, here's me out and in. Like a way that we could expound upon in another episode. I would love for us to do an episode on magic systems. Um, Ooh, yes, please. I think that would be fun because that is another thing that is. This is why querying is the tough thing, toughest thing ever. It's so impossibly difficult. Which is, you, you are expected to pack as much stuff. Uh huh. Trademark on that word, capital S, stuff into 10 pages as you can and you were taught show don't tell Uh so then if you like heaven forbid you're writing something that has a off a brand new world has a brand new magic system has a brand new government Mm -hmm. has a brand new like all of these things you're supposed to cram into there and it has taken until recently and i still don't think i know how to do it well but this idea of tell it's okay. It's okay in those Sometimes first couple pages tell, yeah. to tell them yeah. in this, you know, like not exactly this, but like in this world, people uh, stare at trees for people, 10 minutes yeah. a day and people then develop horns. the ability to yeah. <laughs> grow yeah. the forest. Bye. Yeah. And this is your main character. She is a champion forest grower, mm-hmm. but she has debilitating allergies. I don't Look, know. Like, I, I, fantasy is, I think, one of the hardest. Fantasy openings are, in my opinion, some of the hardest things to write, period, forever. I was actually just laughing with sci-fi. someone. I would to, argue sci like Yeah, yeah, sci-fi too. Pop it. Agreed. Pop yeah. it Anything there. speculative, those opening chapters are nearly impossible because you want to show as much as possible in the opening chapters because telling, it's very easy to info dump, it's very easy to give stuff. But this is what I'm, this is a gift I'm going to give to all of our listeners because today I was kind of giggling about this, is that you, (laughs) 
work as hard as you can to find the perfect balance, but also accept that there is no such thing as a perfect balance. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about being a almost debut author is seeing how people will offer critique that is the absolute polar opposite. (laughs) I have seen reviews that say, oh, loved this book, but like there was a little too much world building in the first few chapters. And then the next day you'll see a review that's like, I really like this book, but there wasn't enough explanation of the world building in the first few chapters. And it's like, the point is, we all have a different threshold for how much we need to understand. So like, try to find a balance that works for your readers. Try to make sure that you're you're giving them a chance to get grounded in the world without just giving them 10 pages of backstory. Um, but yeah, but for the rest of the book, the rule is pretty much simple. Is this a scene that you want to watch or is it just getting you to the next point in the story? In which case then you just tell it. She woke up exhausted. Move along. You know? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Rule number four. Mm. Kill your darlings. (laughs) Kill them. Hmm. So, yes. Different definitions of darlings. Um, I think this is a right every day where kill your darlings means something. So, yeah, again, I think it's one of those things. My darlings used to be descriptors. Um, I loved pretty turns of phrases, as many descriptive, you know, adjectives as I could cram at a sentence because I thought it was more evocative. And I had a wonderful uh, writing teacher, Christy, who would tell me, Emily, go cut one from every line and then cut another one because it was too much. Because I was being precious about my prose to the point where it was detracting from the reader's experience. It wasn't contributing what I thought it was. It was, you know, it was not helpful. And so I needed to learn to cut those darlings. I needed to kill those darlings. Um, But if a darling is an entire scene or a bit of dialogue then I would argue that maybe you don't have to kill your darlings, but maybe you have to um, uh, lean them up a little bit. <laughs> like maybe you need to figure out what it is that you love about that scene or that bit of dialogue. Uh-huh. Can you pare it down so that it doesn't take up quite as much real estate? Because I, I think we've talked on here about how page real estate varies in value depending on where you are in the book. You know, in the beginning few chapters of a book, every word is super important. You have much less wiggle room for fluff. Um, but in the middle of the book, you have earned it at that point. Someone has stuck with you. You have you have more room to expand, to have a scene that maybe is just fun or whatever. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But if you can figure out what it is that you love about that scene or that bit of dialogue, is there a way that you can salvage it? Is there a way that you can combine it with something else to make it work? You don't always have to kill it. Um, I yeah. don't kill. <laughs> I don't kill darling scenes. I just don't. If there's a scene or a bit of dialogue yeah. that I absolutely love, I will rewrite a thousand scenes to figure out how to keep that in there, even if it means changing the setting, even if it means changing what part of the story it is. And if there's something I really, really love, if it's really a darling, then I will find a way to save it. Um, But do I still go back through that draft and cut a whole bunch of descriptors? Heck yeah, I do, because those are no longer darling to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, for me, where Kill Your Darlings comes into play is, what is my ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. And my ultimate goal is to write a story that people will want to read. Mm-hmm. And I, a certain audience will want to read. And I have my in my head, like, these are the people I'm trying to target with this. You know, like, you, for my baking book, it's definitely, like, people who 
love watching Great British Bake Off mm-hmm. and also read young adult fantasy. Yeah. I want to target those people. I want to target people who can't stop watching YouTube baking videos. So yeah. I like throw little <laughs> references in there for that. And like I have that. And then I think, okay, but they also have to read young adult fantasy, which means I'm writing to that market mm-hmm. of fast paced um, banter, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful uh settings that they can absorb very quickly a magic system that isn't too convoluted like i have to kind of move into that and that allows me to quote unquote kill my darlings a little easier because i've never been attached to my prose there is one line from my prose is so beautiful though (laughs) i have like one line of prose that did not make it into my baking baking book but it is not dead is it an orphanage and it is in the uh, it is the it is in the writing orphanage good, good, where good. I will come back to it eventually. Yeah. You know, blessed if I should ever write like write a sequel to this book, I will figure out how to put it in there. Yeah. Um, but I've never been oh, like a dragon hoarding over my prose. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that was too wordy. I'll fix it. Oh, you stumbled over that. I'll fix it. Oh, that's too choppy. I'll fix it. Yeah. Um, and I have learned with scenes, scenes and characters that if I like it and it's clicking with me, then something is working about mm-hmm. it and I need to figure out where it belongs. Or maybe I'll see it in a different shade. So maybe it'll be coming from somebody else's mouth and now it yeah. sparkles even more. Like usually mm-hmm. I think if it's darling, it's the seed of an idea mm-hmm. rather than the whole idea itself, especially if I'm like in a first or second draft place yeah it's- i have some lines from like my my original pictures book that i don't even know whether they were darlings or whether it was like someone else loved it so much that i was like "Ooh, this line is good and that book is never going to see the light of day by my choice and other reasons and right. so there are a couple that yeah i swoop those right right into my my newer work right. because you don't have to kill them you just put them aside for later right. but at the same time I hope Sophie goes, hi, Sophie. Um, you know, part of what I worked on with Sophie, Sophie, my, my mentee this past year in Pictures, loves, you know, evocative, descriptive metaphors, and she's fantastic at it. And there were times where I had to say, I love all of these, but there's just too many in one paragraph. And in order for readers to be able to follow what's happening, I think it would be more effective to cut some of them. And we actually had a really great moment where she, again, I hope she forgets this. Hi, Sophie. Um, she had gone to, I think, show someone else a, a portion, a page in a book that she loved, someone else's book that was so beautiful and she showed it to them and they said that's too many words I'm not reading that and she messaged me and was like I get it now like it doesn't matter how beautiful they are if it's so many words that no one's going they're going to skip over it you're better off saving some of those darlings for another page where they'll get the attention they deserve like find your favorite phrase or your favorite moment and let it shine let it stand by itself because if you have too many beautiful darlings on stage each darling is not getting the spotlight so Uh sometimes uh you need to just like pick a darling give them a spotlight and let the other darlings go wait their turn exactly i like that yeah i like i like the idea of like focusing in on one because then it becomes the real darling i think that's the other thing is like i said um like it's the seed of something, like mm-hmm. a darling is the seed of something that can grow. If I have a bunch of darlings, if I have a paragraph that I'm like, oh, I love this paragraph so yeah. much. Usually there's like a line in that paragraph that needs to stay. And I yeah. just <laughs> didn't realize like the rest was just like a fertilizer for this yes. one line that's going <laughs> to be beautiful all on its own or something yeah. like that. Like now, my- there are times where paragraphs are, I'm looking at you, so many people, but um, 
like Andrea Contos and V.E. Schwab, they have this God. like evocative, beautiful prose so beautiful. where it's like every paragraph so is just poetry. Literally, and you're Victoria Schwab like, and Andrea even... Contos are my like, I just, I get all dizzy and I have they're to lay on the floor. So and I'm like, good. the words are so beautiful. They're so perfect and so beautiful. And I think they too, I mean, if we had the ability to ask them, which we could probably just I could message Andrea, Andrea and be like, hey, <laughs> how do you did do you it? have to cut a lot and shape a lot to get these beautiful sure. words? I have a feeling the answer will be Oh yeah. Yes. Andrea is the person <laughs> that I go to. I literally Andrea is my my darling assassin. I will send if someone says you should cut this, this, and this, I will and I'm being stubborn about it. I will send a page to Andrea and say, so and so says I should cut this, this, and this. Should I? And sometimes Andrea will say, yeah, it's better without it. And I'm like, okay, that must be correct. And other times Andrea will say, no, this is a great line. Do not cut it. If you have to, cut this, 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 and this to make it work. But, like, don't right. lose that. And I'm like, right. all bow down, all hail the queen. But, yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Find that person you trust. I will say the uh, the drinking game scene for anyone who has read This Fish of Grace or who hasn't, like, bookmark it. That was my job. That was my my darling of that book and that scene has gone through so many iterations it has gone through you know it was originally like two chapters and I cut it down to one I took some of the dialogue and moved it elsewhere but there was just something about the heart of that scene that I would not have cut for anything but again it's like how do you save that darling what lengths will you go to to save that darling and you'd be amazed what you can do by you know mixing up the setting or breaking something up or putting into different places Right. You, know, you can you can preserve those darlings if they are really 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 important. Right, I think it like for me writing is a thing of being open enough and vulnerable enough to mm -hmm. um, accept that things aren't going to come out of your head one hundred percent perfect, mm -hmm. and that you are doing. I almost think of writing as a um, it's a very selfish, selfless act because yeah. you are writing something. For you, because yeah. you love doing it, but then also you're trying to entertain other people. Yeah. And I think if you keep that mindset of there is that person back there eventually, I think w with revision, when it comes to revision, yeah, yeah, yeah. like keep that person in the back of your mind that's like, yeah, write okay, it for you, it is. revise it to expand your audience if your goal is to get published. Because again, mm -hmm. that's the difference between writing for yourself and writing to get published. Yes. Writing to get published, you are expanding your audience from yourself to other people. Yeah. For and sure. if you're really not willing to make any adjustments to your book for your audience, then maybe it's just for you. And that's great, too. That's okay. Um, but yeah, if you're trying to sell a an art, piece of art to a lot of people, then you should at least be thinking about how you can make it as enjoyable an experience for them, right. too. Not every person on the planet, just your audience. Exactly. Number five. Mm -hmm. Don't ever, ever think about a sequel until uh, you have sold <laughs> the first one. Don't write trilogies. Don't write the duology. Don't ever think about it. Don't do it. And I'm going to come out swinging on this one. Um, don't write six books in a series before selling one if you're going to be sad that you wasted ten years writing six books in a series. That's my version of the rule. However... <laughs> If you're a good little kid like me who says, okay, I will follow the rule and I will not think about a sequel until I sell book one, you may find yourself getting an email from your agent, you know, right after you've gone on sub saying, hey, so um, about that sequel, could you send me a synopsis like right now? And you'll realize, oh no, I don't know sequel because you told me not, not, 
not you, my agent, the world said, don't think about a sequel. Um, so I'm going to say if you have any <laughs> intention of your book turning into more than one book, uh, go ahead and think about it. Go ahead and think about it. Uh, if you have some ideas, maybe jot those suckers down. If it's not going to stress you out to to do a little little fiddling, a little drafting, I'd say go for that. Um, just don't don't put all of your mental and emotional baskets into one series if you don't know if you can sell book one. But uh, but save yeah. yourself the sequel hell uh, and and let yourself play with it a little bit before you're suddenly on the hook for it because you've already sold it and you haven't written it yet. <laughs> right. I have. I, I got 90,000 words, kids. It's okay. It's okay. We're okay. I think We're that's okay. the um, – you see people who query and they're like, this would make uh, – this is planned as a six-book – uh series uh that right there there's a couple of like things happening right there i think and not to speak for agents but in my mind there's a couple things happening there one book one cannot stand on its own and i will not be satisfied when Uh i read it two what if publishing doesn't pay for book two Uh and then you're done and then book one is falls flat yep so as an agent they're not going to take a risk on that as an and animal. you're asking an agent to sell six books that. versus one. Mm-hmm. And then, especially nowadays, it is a thing of they will pay for – a lot of deals come out as, like, we'll pay for three books mm-hmm. from some authors. And then if we want or you want, we will consider expanding the series. Yeah. So series expansion, it does not – I think the days of – Massive Robert Jordan style, yeah. Game of Thrones style books are, they are rare. Those stories are rare, rare and in rare. a different audience. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said, if you're, if you're spinning your wheels, if you're doing your time writing six books, mm-hmm. I guess the thing is to ask yourself, are you, are you, again, it goes back to, are you writing for yourself? Or are you writing to get yeah. published? Mm-hmm. And then it also is, are you learning something from that process? Because mm-hmm. for me, not thinking about sequels. Yes, I dreamed about them. Like yeah. even for this baking book, I'm like, ooh, that would be fun to explore. Ooh, that would be fun to explore. Ooh, that would be fun to explore. And then I just kind of like write those down in a little mm-hmm. notebook and then I just keep feeding that. And then if I feel like writing a synopsis, great. If I feel like writing a yeah. query, great. If I feel like writing the first 50 pages, great. If not, then it's not a whole lot of time lost and I had a lot of fun doing it for myself. Yeah. That's, I think, I think, the big balance is yeah. what are you doing it for? If you're doing it with the ex- expectation that you're going to sell six books at a time, are you going to be crushed when that doesn't happen? Because if so, then maybe don't. If you're just doing it because you're enjoying it and you're working on other stuff at the same time, have fun. But also, like, if you do sell book one, you're going to work with an agent, you're going to work with an editor, it's going to change, yeah. and now suddenly you have a waterfall of six books which is the thought of six books is making me a little I, twitchy <laughs> right and then i'm thinking of if you're querying and you're putting all that time and energy into writing six books mm-hmm. all of that time is again bunny your quotes wasted when you could have six different projects yeah. to keep throwing at the you know thrown into the wild you could yeah. say well if if you didn't like my killer clowns romantically falling in love, maybe you'll like this book. Okay, you didn't like that one. How about maybe you'll like this book? And each time you're learning and growing and mm-hmm. trying something new. But truthfully, if you put all of your eggs in the basket of this series you've spent 10 meticulous years writing, that's 10 years shot. Yeah. Like it's you learned and you grew and you had fun. And like you said, if you're not willing to lose that, Okay, go for it. But if you are, yeah, 
it's and I will years. also say I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say a hard fast rule would be maybe don't mention it in your query that it's a plan six book series that I think it's pretty safe to say is gonna not help you only hurt you go ahead with the here's a book <laughs> and right. if your agent is like if you sign with an agent who's like I love this so much I want six books then you can go good news I have six right. but like don't it's kind of like the you know the the TV movie equivalent of like going on a first date and being like I plan to have ten children and I've already named them like just to, to, you know just let them get to know you first let them get, <laughs> let them get to know book one first before you start right. like naming your children you know right. that sort of thing yeah right it's all about like what you want out of writing which again is why these rules are more like guidelines anyway yeah. there's reference number three yes. Emily's smirking at me. I'm just just smirking at my sequel that's leering at me. No, it's, it's going okay. okay. It's going okay. It's just, it's very different to write a book under contract. So, you know, if you do yeah. have a sequel in your head and you have ideas, feel free to jot those suckers down before you go on submission right. with that book because things can change fast and then someone right. wants to know what happens in book two and you're like, oh, ah, okay, uh, sure, yeah, I'll just write this tonight. Um, yeah, had right. that experience, but that was back in 2020. So, so we've made progress since dream then. Dream about it. Think about it. Maybe get a submission package ready. But beyond that. Yeah. And again, just know your genre and your category. Pay attention Mm -hmm. to what's happening out Mm -hmm. there. If people are selling solo books, duologies, and trilogies, just be aware that coming in there, you know, expecting four or five, six books is going to be a real long time. Right. Right. Temper your expectations so that you can have a positive experience. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. We did it. Yay. I like these numbered episodes and these Q&A episodes. (laughs) These are good. They give us a little structure. They are. I kind of like a little structure. (laughs) We use it these days. Both of us are zombies. Oh, looping back to the beginning. Full circle. We did it. (laughs) Go team go. Woo. Nice. If you ever have any questions about other things you want us to answer or writing rules that you hate uh, or want to know our thoughts on. Please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Shout it out on give Twitter, Instagram. You have topics. To give us topics. Because every topics. We love recording it. session starts with us going, we're both what are we going to talk about? And <laughs> tired. And we're trying. We're yeah. trying. <laughs> Look, we guys, we haven't even got around to like re-recording uh, an intro with me actually having my publication date. So like, <laughs> we're working on it, kids. It's June 28th. It's June 28th. It's coming Woo. out. Yeah. See, by June 28th, it won't matter anyway. So <laughs> we'll just keep, we'll just leave it alone. People are going to be like, your book's coming out in summer 2022, right? And I'll be like, oh, that was, yeah, no, it came out two weeks ago. <laughs> Did you miss it? Nope. That's <laughs> fine. Um, and then we'll just have to edit it anyway. Um, oh, that's true. There you go. If we for, stall long enough, it'll just be, my book is already out. Yeah. There you go. It'll be like, the author is Procrastination for the win. Yeah, there you go. Um, what is something that brought you joy this week? I can't talk about it because it's a secret that you yeah. know about. But I Yay. am always excited when when positive things happen for people that I care about. That's been a fun. Yay. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a fun. And let me think if there's something I can think of specifically that I can talk about. <laughs> um, I, ta- I kind of mentioned it on Twitter, so I think I can say it. I did. I got 
I got a cool thing in the mail that, that I also can't talk about. Oh, oh, I saw a character art. I saw a character art for my book. Yay. Which I can't show anyone yet, but it's still that I can say what it is. I got character art, and it was very exciting. And That's amazing. And Dante looks so over it, and I love that. I love it. <laughs> so, I love him. Yeah, that was I love thing. it, I love it, I love How it. How about you, Anna? Anything that has made you happy recently? Um, I have been surrounded by lots of love from friends and family that has been like I've had a very surreal kind of week of just realizing how okay life is um which is nice and that (laughs) is you know for a long time it was not okay and I went to this is like a weird thing I went and saw a bunch of people that um oh this is my extra I have this ties into a story so my really the thing that truly brought me joy this week Mm -hmm. that just over the moon brought me joy, and I'm going to quit fiddling with my um, Fitbit there, um, is in my uh, town, they do a grad walk, which is where the high school seniors go to all the different schools, and they walk oh. through the halls with their cap and gown as, like, Aww. a way of, like, celebrating and having the community come together and also show, like, other kids who may be struggling, like, look, I ended up here. You can do it, mm-hmm. too. Um, it's really, really great. And then the other great part of it that <sighs> – precious. I might cry. Um, is that they give uh, honorary diplomas to teachers who have made an impact on their life. And I was uh, recognized by Yay! a couple of students for having an impact on their life in I eighth love grade. That. That's amazing. Um, yeah. It's Yay. just like it really warms my heart because middle school sucked ass for yeah. me. <laughs> and I went into being a middle school teacher. I was like, I'm going to make it suck a little less ass for some of these kids. So you did it. Um, it was really nice. That's but awesome. To like, like, Tacking on to that, like, while I was there, a couple of people that I haven't seen in, like, a year and a half, two years were like, you look good. And I was like, I haven't changed at all. It's called happiness. It's called (laughs) happiness. Happiness makes you look fabulous. It is the greatest skincare next to water. But dang. Yes. I don't know. So I I don't know. Life's just been good. And I'm just really appreciative of all the people in my life. Love it. There's that. Love it. Also, a game called Soup. And cats, cats and soups. <laughs> Rebecca Mix tweeted about it on Twitter, and oh, freaking hey, I downloaded it, and I was like, I can't right. stop playing this. Gonna write that one down. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Urgh, it's so cute. We got anyway. vague stuff, we got inspiring stuff, and we've got <clears throat> game advice with soups <clears throat> and cats. What was serotonin? Yeah, <laughs> thank goodness for serotonin. Yeah, Yay. there's our theme. That's a, the serotonin theme. The serotonin episode. Serotonin and zombies. Do y'all remember that serotonin and zombie episode? Basic pitches did. <laughs> that was buck wild. <laughs> Loved every second of it. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Basic Pitches. We super appreciate it as always. And please remember that this Vicious Grace goes on sale June 28th. You can pre-order right now. I have heard there are pre-order goodies, so you probably want to get in on that. Go request it at your local library and be on the lookout for it. And I will see you next time. Bye, Pitches. I have no breath.